you cannot fake it. It has to come from the inside. You have to work in an area where you truly feel that you are committed, not just with your brain, but also with your heart. You can never fake this. Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Lars Stankvist. He's the chief technology officer at Volvo, and he's driving innovation to decarbonize transport. He'll talk about why batteries won't be the only answer to that challenge and how leadership is going to need to adapt. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. So you have those moments in life where you really feel that mm, it's really time to do something. And can I contribute? And I can contribute. And the Volvo Group, we can contribute. Lars Stankvist is the chief technology officer of Volvo Group. Lars is driving innovation during a critical moment of change, both for the company and the industry, as both grapple with how to create more sustainable transport solutions. Volvo has committed to becoming a net zero company by 2050, and Lars's teams are focused on strategies to decarbonize transport. To this end, he advocates for a three-pronged approach, one that includes batteries, sure, but also hydrogen fuel cells for applications where batteries are too heavy and bulky, like for trucks and heavy equipment. He even sees a role for the combustion engine. There are far too many people that are declaring the death of the combustion engine today. But technology is just one part of how sustainability goals will be achieved. To work at the speed we need, Lars reminds us that companies are going to need to get comfortable collaborating with groups they never would have imagined, including their rivals. Doing this well will become a key competitive advantage. I think that it is very important that you that you find out new ways of thinking where you can, for one piece of the puzzle, you can be partners, but for the majority of the pieces of the puzzles, there you stay competitors. To lead in this new world, bosses will need to lose what Lars calls the control tower approach. They'll need to depend on teams in new ways and find new methods to tap both creativity and accountability. Show me your roadmap, show me your ideas. Where are you taking us? If you were the CEO or the CTO of this company, where would you take us when it comes to your components? Meet the Leader caught up with Lars, where he shared the prompts he uses with teams and the approaches he thinks are key to making new partnerships effective. He'll share all that and more, but first, he'll talk about the mission at hand, shifting to transport's new future. We are talking about uh, decarbonizing road transport uh, and it's a true transformation of our industry, of our company, uh, meaning that we, we will take this company to a new level when it comes to sustainable transport. If we think about it, 2050 is not far away if we talk about Paris Agreement. And if we talk about the decarbonized road transport 2050, and with our trucks out there, our construction machine, they have an average life length of approximately 10 years. And that means that we cannot wait until 2049 December. That means that from 2040 and onwards, we need to take on the challenge to deliver only fossil free driven applications for all kinds of vehicles that we are providing. What are the biggest challenges that transport in general is facing, in your opinion? 
For me, it's uh, clear that there will be more transport going forward. I know that everyone in society wouldn't agree with that, but for me, there are so much evidence pointing in this direction. Growing global population, increased urbanization, and also, for example, e-commerce. So there will be more transport. But it's extremely important to say that we cannot just extrapolate the transport as we're doing it today for one simple reason, the planet wouldn't be able to handle that. And that means that we must come up with new ways, we must develop a truly sustainable transport system, but within the boundaries of the planet. There's so many areas, the conversation is different than it was a few years ago, but what is helping to drive this change that we're seeing? For me, it starts on the political level, that we have a clear commitment, I mean, from, uh, from Europe, from the European Union, uh, from China, from Japan, uh, just lately from the US. Uh, uh, so it's definitely then in focus in a completely different way today than just a few years ago. But I think that the biggest difference is that companies now are committing. Because when the big companies now are committing, then it's truly gonna happen. Uh, if you look at a company like the Volvo Group, then we are truly committed to the Paris Agreement. We are truly committed to decarbonizing road transport. It will just happen. And we are teaming up with other big companies. When I'm meeting other big companies in the World Economic Forum, for example, and listening into their commitments to bonus, that's something that I can tell my children. I can tell my children, hey guys, I'm much more optimistic today that we can hand over the planet to the coming generations in a much better shape because now it is truly happening. Since you've started, what have your biggest priorities or concerns been? For us, it is clearly so that we cannot just rely on the combustion engines going forward for one simple reason. There will not be enough biofuels directed to our industry. And that means that um, for the absolute majority of the vehicles, we are talking about electrification. And this is then for us that we are adding a new technology to the palette. Uh, and that means that we are adding new technologies, but we don't have the luxury situation that we can offload a lot of old technologies. We are adding new ones on top of, meaning that we have a broader palette of technologies now. You've said that there's a three-pronged approach to transport decarbonization. Can you take us through those factors and why they are so important? For me, it's so obvious then that we are continuing to develop the combustion engines. There is still a lot of possibilities, a lot of opportunities when it comes to increasing efficiency out of combustion engines. They are extremely flexible and they can run on a lot of potential biofuels, uh, biogas, uh, green hydrogen, etc. But since there will not be enough biofuel directed to our industry, we cannot only rely on combustion engines. And that means that in parallel, we are also working hard with electrification of our vehicles. And then we have two different technologies for electrification. We are already today in serious production when it comes to better electric vehicles, both when it comes to Buses, city buses, when it comes to trucks up to 26 ton, we're not talking about light trucks here, it's true heavy trucks. And also then when it comes to our construction machines, our yellow machines, we have electrified products in serial production. Uh, but in parallel then to better electric vehicles, the third technology that we are convinced that we need to have in the portfolio is also fuel cells. Uh, and that means that we will have a mix of electric vehicles with better electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. 
rather often I get the question today, what will the split be between battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles? And well, it's early days. Uh, it's a little bit of a theoretical discussion to say if it's exactly 50-50, 40-60, 60-40 or whatsoever. But we are convinced that we will need both battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles in high volumes. Um, so I'm extremely happy that we have decided to invest a lot of R&D efforts into both battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. When you talk about how the internal combustion engine is going to still have a role, I think that's a little bit of a surprise to people because they've equated sustainable transport with something else. Uh, why do you think this is so surprising to people? I think that there are far too many people that are declaring the death of the combustion engine already today. Because in our industry, when it comes to commercial vehicles, heavy vehicles applications, we will have uh, to use combustion engines for a long period of time. And then, of course, they will run on sustainable fuels like biogas can even be with the green hydrogen in a combustion engine. But there are certain applications, the most heavy transports, through long distance transports, there you will have the sweet spot of combustion engines also in a long period of time. Volvo is focused on connectivity, electromobility, automation, and each one of those technologies requires building a range of capabilities. What did Volvo need to do to build those capabilities that may not be obvious to the general person on the street? I think that the obvious answer is software and software capabilities. There is so much uh, computational power on board on a vehicle today, and by that also so much software and software functionality. But I think that the biggest change is really the use of data. We have more than one million connected vehicles today, and they are generating data as we speak. And uh, data as such is, of course, of value. I see data as such as gold in a gold mine. It's when you start to run advanced analytics on that data, then you're really extracting the gold out of the gold mine. And uh, for me, this is the biggest difference if you compare just a few years ago, our um, ability to extract the gold out of the gold mine, to run advanced analytics on this data, and not just to uh, run analytics on historical data, but also to use advanced engineering tools in order to optimize the future vehicles then based upon machine learning and artificial intelligence. So this is truly a new set of capabilities that we are having today in the company. And when it comes to building those capabilities, what was the most important thing that Volvo has needed to keep in mind or have in place? I don't feel that we have a problem in recruiting the talents that we need in the team. But it's obviously so that if you're running an engineering organization and you're adding technologies, you're adding complexity, then you also need to start to steer and lead this organization in a new way. Because all of a sudden the palette becomes broader and many of these technologies are more disruptive than the ones that we have been working with for decades. And that means that um, I feel that we are moving away a little bit from a more of a control tower leadership way of working where we used to specify a lot and we are moving away from that towards a more delegated way of working where we have strong tech teams where we are pointing out the direction and then we want them to come up with solutions. We expect nothing less than wonders coming out of those tech teams and those tech streams. So that's, that's a rather big change. 
What do you think stands in the way of that new way of working? It needs leaders uh, that are combining a true interest in both people and technology. Not leaders that just are general leaders or general managers, but people that are really genuinely interested in taking technology and people to the next level. So it's about, of course, developing technology, but it's also very much about developing and challenging people in such an organization. So I think a lot of leaders would listen to that and think, I'm totally doing that. But of course, if that was the case, we'd be further in a lot of things. What, in your opinion, should leaders be doing more of? Is there a question they should be asking so that they are straddling both that tech side and that people challenging side? Well, I think that it starts with that you really feel that you are on the right spot. You can never fake this. You have to have a role. You have to work in an area where you truly feel that you are committed, not just with your brain, but also with your heart. And that you really feel that you are in the sweet spot. For me, it's, it's obvious. I really want to contribute to this decarbonizing road transport. I feel that I have in my opinion, the best job an engineer can have. And I think that everyone leading a department, a function, must feel the same way, that I'm truly here because I love it, I want to be here. I think that's where you need to start. So you and your team have been developing a range of solutions. Uh, what has been the biggest surprise or challenge that uh, has arisen from all of this? Well, one of the challenges that we have been working with uh, is really then to take us from the world of thick specifications, a lot of Word documents uh, where we try to explain to suppliers, for example, exactly what we wanted them to deliver to us. Uh, today we are working in a much more of a partnership uh, dialogue together with suppliers where we're also asking them, of course, what do you have in stock? What do you have in mind? How can we combine our way of thinking in order to optimize the outcome and the solution? So step away from these uh, detailed specifications and go into much more of an open partnership discussion. You've talked about how partnership is the new leadership, but I think not everybody might understand why that is. Can you speak to why that is so key to so many of these new transitions and these new technologies? In the past, when we uh, worked with well-known technologies, uh, where we had uh, decades of experience, it was possible to talk about incremental development. It was possible to write a very detailed specification, yes, send it out to five or ten different suppliers and ask for a quotation. Today, we're talking about much more of disruptive technology development, meaning that we cannot specify everything into detail. It's about creating a network of players that want to work together, that we have a combined and shared vision, a direction, where are we going, and then working together, developing together in order to really develop the absolutely best solutions. Uh, th this is a completely new way of working, uh, talking a lot about trust, because you cannot nail all the details in the beginning. Uh, for me, it's very much about um, like a partnership also in private life. Uh, I mean, you engage with someone, you take it step by step going forward. It's the same way of thinking. How do you build that trust with these different partners? How do you approach that? For me, to start with, it's very important to talk about partnerships in different directions. Um, it can be a partnership with a supplier, it can be a partnership with a customer, it can be a partnership with a university, it can be a partnership with a startup company, it can be a partnership with a competitor. And uh, my experience is that uh, it's very important to spend time together on a management level. You have to test so that you have uh, a good connection. 
that you have a good relation, but also that you're sharing values. Because here you really need to trust each other. So spending a lot of time, we have spent in several cases, we have spent a lot of time together before we have signed any kind of partnership document or partnership agreement or before we have sent out the press release that now we have partnered up. Because you have to be really sure that you share the same values, that you share the same thinking, that you have a common direction before you engage in a partnership. But uh, I think the most important is that uh, when you announce something, that's only day one then normally you haven't achieved anything at all. That's really the starting point. And that means that um, you have partnered up with someone that you found to be attractive. But then, of course, the journey starts. Staying attractive over time, continue to contribute, continue to nurture, continue to develop this partnership and continue to build on those relations. So if you have been involved in setting up a partnership until day one, you are there at the press release or the press conference, you can never step out at that time. That's where, where the fun part of the journey starts and you have to continue to be engaged in that partnership. Volvo has a joint venture with Daimler, a competitor. Can you tell us a little bit about Salescentric and why it was created? We have set up a joint venture together with Daimler Trucks. Uh, so it's two competitors and uh, we have then teamed up. We set up a joint venture 50-50. We have the intention to develop fuel cells and also then to produce fuel cells for heavy duty applications. Because we both believe that there will be high volumes of fuel cell electric vehicles out on the roads. This is a must. It's a piece of the puzzle that we need to have in order to decarbonize road transport. And we have now joined forces because fuel cells for our applications with extremely high average power output and uh, really tough demands when it comes to life length of the vehicles. That's far from an off-the-shelf product. There is nothing available today that can meet these tough demands. And that means that we together now in Cellcentric, we are going to spend a lot of time and efforts in developing these fuel cell systems to meet our tough requirements. But then we also have the ability to bundle the volumes because production of fuel cells will be a volume game in order to come to the right level when it comes to product costs. Because we need to get very attractive product cost levels in order to compete with both combustion engines and better electric vehicles so that we see that we really get the significant volumes out of the fuel cells. So a very bold step, I dare to say, very important step for the two companies, but also, to be honest, a bold step and important step for society. More and more sustainability solutions are going to be requiring these sorts of partnerships that you're talking about, but many companies do not have the experience to build those sorts of relationships, especially maintaining them over the long term. Uh, What do you think needs to change to make sure that these relationships are both embraced and also nurtured? I think it's important to understand that in this setup, we have joined forces because we were not able to do this on our own. They were not able to do that on their own to develop the fuel cell systems. But then Cellcentric will provide fuel cell systems to Volvo and to Daimler. And on a vehicle level, when we are installing, when we are optimizing the vehicles with these fuel cell systems, there we will remain competitors. So I think that it is very important that you that you find out new ways of thinking where you can, for one, 
piece of the puzzle, you can be partners. But for the majority of the pieces of the puzzles, there you stay competitors. So I think it is a new way of thinking. You have to be very open-minded. You have to be very creative in your thinking when it comes to these new partnerships. And if companies don't figure out creative ways to work with each other, what are we losing there? Well, I see clearly that uh, being a good partner will be a competitive advantage going forward. Uh, I'm normally saying that to my team that I want the external world to view us as someone with whom it is easy to partner up. Just imagine that we are uh, sitting in an airport lounge, you and me, uh, you know, waiting for uh, for takeoff then, and uh, we're overhearing a discussion and uh, someone else is sitting talking and they say, you know, those guys at Volvo Group, they are tough, they are demanding, uh, but they are great to team up with, to partner up with. And, you know, um, uh, it's efficient, it goes fast, it's not a lot of administration, not a lot of bureaucracy, it's really to the point. I'm rather convinced that if you if you think about it, this will be a true competitive advantage for companies. If, if you are attractive, if you are viewed as the company with whom others want to join, with whom others want to partner, then that will be a true competitive edge to your company. With these partnerships, was there any sort of experience that helped you put in place what was needed? No, I think that we were rather early out talking about partnership as the new leadership. We talked about the necessity of having partnerships in place. Uh, but I also remember, to be honest, that um, I used one standard slide. Uh, I almost had it in all my presentations when I met my, my team, my engineering organization. And uh, I used it for um, three months, I used it for six months, I used it for a year. But to be honest, um, I didn't have a lot of proof points. Uh, so at a certain point of time, in time, my organization started to question me and uh, started to say, will there, will there be any partnerships or is it just one lie that you're reusing all the time? So, uh, uh, And then we started to get a few partnerships in place. Uh, and that was important because it also paved the way. It showed to the organization that, yes, we are closing a few very important partnerships. When we started to announce, it was definitely a milestone and uh, a lot of credibility then, bu building a lot of credibility in the organization. Uh, and then I dare to say that uh, now, 2021, it has been sort of a press release here, a press release there. And now it's coming, it's like popcorn sort of, but it, it took some time, but we, uh, we showed uh, persistence, we continued to communicate around how important it will be with partnerships. Are there lessons from these early partnerships that shape the ones that came after, elements that you know are going to need to be in place to make these successful? Well, from the very beginning, you need to uh, have some kind of plan for how we are going to run that partnership. As I said uh, earlier, if I am to engage in early partnership discussions, uh, if Lars really is going to engage, then most likely I'm going to be engaged for a long period of time as well. And that means that most likely I cannot be engaged in 100 or 200 partnerships because then, then all of a sudden I will become the bottleneck. So who is going to be the sponsor of the partnership, but also then who is going to run the day-to-day -day business and so that you, you engage already from the beginning with a good team. Who is going to be the sort of key account contact, who is going to run it on a daily basis, who is going to be more of a sponsor and that you make sure already from the beginning uh, that you have a good setup because otherwise 
you will limit yourself, you, you will limit your organization to your own capability of running partnerships. Your team is developing things that maybe people weren't thinking about 5, 10, 15 years ago. What is helping push it those boundaries? What's helping your team challenge themselves? The best thing to stay creative is just to go out and meet some of my brilliant engineers uh, and, and talk to them and just listen to them. And then uh, they are challenging me, but I am also often challenging them back then. And that, that's really then uh, what we need to have. And uh, now, now in the pandemic situation with a lot of people then working from home and we are not traveling as much, I, I dare to say that that is one part that I'm missing a lot um, because this meeting eye to eye, really discussing then um, sort of a free discussion without any agendas, uh, but drawing on a whiteboard together, uh, that's really creativity. And when you have those conversations, what questions are you asking them to challenge them? How do you get that back and forth going? Well, to be honest, you don't need to ask so many questions because they have so many ideas. So, so it's about you know going there, being curious, and ask ask about what's what's ongoing. What do you have? Uh, what do you have in the pipeline? What kind of ideas do you have? What should we do more? And then you know it will just start to pop, and you will immediately get that reaction um, because I'm convinced uh, that that the ideas out there in the engineering community, that's really what we need to nurture and what we need to get more of. So it can be hard when your head's down, focused, executing to think about that bigger picture question, what more can we do? But uh, of course, that's critical for innovation. How important is it that leaders work that into the rotation? What do you think about that? I'm convinced that that's very, very important, but also then to give the teams the true responsibility and the true mandate. Um, if you are responsible for developing a system, function or component or whatsoever, that team and that management of that team should be responsible, not just to develop uh, the project that goes into production next year, but that team should also have the responsibility, take the accountability to really come up with ideas, with the roadmaps for that system component or whatsoever for the upcoming five to 10 years. Uh, and I mean, there you have the perfect start of such a discussion, of course. Show me your roadmap, show me your ideas. Where are you taking us? If you were the CEO or the CTO of this company, where would you take us when it comes to your components? And, and of course, uh, they have far too long wish lists for Christmas. They will not. They will not get all kind of funds that they ask for. But I mean, that's also the nature of engineering. The day when I would run an organization that had enough of money, we wouldn't have more ideas. Then you know, then I would really be running a lousy organization. So uh, running an engineering technology organization that will always be priorities and that you have to make a cut and say, okay, this is what we're gonna do this year or for now. Continue to think about ideas, continue to think about if you can combine them, can you bundle them, can you get it into some of the other activities that we have started so, uh, and so forth. When you're making that decision about what to prioritize, what goes into that? What questions are you asking yourself to make sure that your focus is going where it should? But I think that we have a rather clear direction now in the company when it comes to decarbonizing road transport, and we know what we need to we know what we need to do. We know what we need to achieve. We have set up clear targets. For example, uh, already by 2030, 35% of our vehicles are going to be electric. 
Uh, we know that by 2040, we are going to deliver only fossil-free solutions to our customers. Uh, so, uh, I mean, if you have such a clear direction of the company, it is rather easy to talk about in what areas do you need to prioritize. And the good thing is that when we then are using these new technologies, there are also then popping up a lot of possibilities then, for example, to create services around these technologies. A lot of these technologies are creating data, and from data you can create a lot of services then, helping, supporting your customers even more. So uh, I feel that we have a sort of flow because we are going in one very, very clear direction. And based upon that, it's easier to make priorities. Is there one innovation or initiative that really knocked you off your feet, something that you may not have believed was even possible a decade ago? I think that many in our industries, including me, we are amazed about the development when it comes to electrification of vehicles. If you, if you would have asked me, if you would have asked the industry 10 years ago, uh, not many would have believed so much in electrification as we are believing today. Uh, it's about a massive and rapid development of battery technology, but also other components. But also, I dare to say, an insight from a societal perspective, that we really need to do it. Uh, and I'm also convinced that going forward, we will see uh, much more of uh, the true cost of carbon-based fuel. There will be higher price on carbon, which will help us to develop more sustainable technologies. Um, so I dare to say that if we um, go five years into the future and we look back to 2021, we will also be amazed. If we go another five years and we go back, we will be amazed because that's also then that's the fantastic and beautiful art of engineering. And if you were going to paint a picture of transport in 2050, what does that look like? more transport but it will be truly sustainable it will be carbon free and it will be much more efficient because we will learn the logistical system of today is not efficient at all. Uh, a lot of uh, half-full trailers out there in the world, etc., containers. So by using data and connected goods, it's possible to run a much more efficient logistical chain in the future. And say if those efforts are stalled, what does 2050 look like then? Well, to be honest, then we're talking about a failure. Uh, and then we're talking about a failure when it comes to saving the planet. We are talking about a failure because then my generation cannot hand over the planet to next generations in such a good shape that I believe is possible. So it would be a true failure. Was there a tipping point for you when you realized that you could contribute beyond, say, a single innovation, that you could maybe contribute to a larger legacy, that you could maybe even scale change for the larger population. I was out uh, traveling. I was up in the northern, 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 northern part, up at the small uh, islands of uh, Svalbard uh, just a few years ago. And uh, we were hiking there. And uh, the guides showed us um, how big the glaciers once were. And uh, how small the glaciers are today. Uh, for me, as an individual, that was a very, very strong moment and where I felt that if I can contribute now to this, uh, that's, that would really make sense. Uh, so you have those moments in life where you really feel that mm, it's really time to do something and can I contribute and I can contribute and the Volvo Group, we can contribute. What draws you to hiking? Well, I like to hike very much up in the northern part of Sweden, uh, where we have the two mountains. But I love being out there. Uh, 
any kind of outdoor activity. It can be running, it can be uh, hiking, it can be skiing, whatever kind of skiing, cross-country or alpine skiing. Uh, I more and more like to be a little bit more offside. And when it comes to alpine skiing, I'm more into the hiking today, you know, with the skins on the skis and then hiking for hours and then one fantastic slope downwards then, instead of then up and down, up and down in ski lifts then and activities. Very often I'm out hiking together with my family then. I have grown up children and they still like to hike with me and my wife. And we have had dogs for forever sort of. And now we only have one old boy left. And he also loves to be out there together with us. And then it's not extreme hiking, but it's really to be out there in the wilderness. You don't see anyone. You just enjoy being together. You see during the day that the group of five, six persons is split into subgroups. All of a sudden, those two are walking around talking to each other. And then a little bit later, there are three or four talking to each other. Or someone is walking alone for two hours. When is that happening in life? That you walk alone with your own thoughts. That's my that's my mental relief. That's where I'm recharging my batteries. I think that one important thing with hiking outdoors is this that you're not connected. I normally then disconnect com completely. And uh, you focus on here and now. The most important topic is when are we going to have lunch? And where are we going to have lunch? And all of a sudden, it's, it's rather basic, but to be honest, life is rather basic. Is there one trait that you depend on the most? I think that the most important is accountability. I, I love this word accountability because if you have an organization, if you have people around you that are truly accountable, when you're losing a game, you really have the passion to be back in the saddle again and win next game and learn from the loss. So for me, accountability, I think that's the single most important word to me as a professional. And how would you prompt that accountability in a typical conversation uh, with somebody on your team? You have to put rather high standards on yourself if you want to put high standards on others. To be honest, you cannot fake it. Uh, it has to come from the inside. It has to be genuine feeling, a genuine trait uh, that, you, that you value. And uh, that, that's the kind of people that I want to have around me. You mentioned that when brainstorming with people that you sort of put it back to them. You say, hey, what do you think we should do? Or what's your roadmap for that? Is that a key bit of connective tissue to building that culture of accountability? Absolutely. I mean, if you are accountable, uh, you have to be accountable for what you're delivering today, what you delivered yesterday, and what you need to deliver tomorrow, next year, or in 10 years. So it's true. You have to come up with a roadmap. If it's not important to win the game, then you also don't need to have anyone who is accountable. Then you can just uh, you can enter late in the morning. You can leave the office uh, early in the afternoon. But if you really truly want to win the game, in our case, then uh, truly transform the company, truly go into uh, fossil-free transport, then you need to have accountable people around. It's as simple as that. That was Lars Stankvist. Before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, Radio Davos, helping you understand the biggest problems of our time. Find the latest episode of that and Meet the Leader on wef.ch slash podcasts. That's it for me. My thanks go out to Gareth Nolan and Robin Pomeroy for all of their help with the creation of Meet the Leader. And my thanks, of course, go out to this week's guest, Lars Stankvist. And thanks to you for listening. 
Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts and follow us online on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.